This morning I want to talk to you about, that's meant to be displayed somewhere prominent so you can be intrigued by it, um, don't get your hopes up too much. Um, I want to talk to you about a subject that's key at this time of year particularly, but I want you to fill in the blank first of a statement I'm going to say in a moment. I want you to take a few moments when I've said it to um, fill in the blank. I want you to fill in the blank of God is a God of. Think for a moment what comes to mind and pick your top one. Uh, Maybe you could pick your top two if you really wanted. God is a God of. I wonder what you would say. Why don't we shout out a few if you're comfortable that God is a God of love. Who went for that one? Hey, you can't go far wrong, can you? Uh, Who else went for something different? God is a God of glory. Anyone else get that one? Very good. Of abundance. Of abundance. Amen. Of, of mercy. Great. Of all comfort. Keep going. Any others? Peace. Peace, yeah? This time of year, God is a, a God of humility. As we remember, obviously, Jesus coming as a child. He's a God of mercy, we've heard. A God of love, a God of joy. Maybe if you're a new Christian or, or, or not a new Christian, you think he's a God of confusion. I'm just trying to get to grips with who he is. Um, and maybe if you've just walked in the doors of the street and you're trying to figure out if he's God at all, you think he's a God of judgment or a God of who knows what, as you're trying to figure out. I want to, tonight, this morning is going to be a good morning. I want to encourage you. I felt God say, let's encourage them. I want to tell you, he's also a God of hope. He's a God of hope. Can you say hope? Say it with a frown. Turn to someone next to you and try and say it with a really angry or sad face. It just doesn't work, does it? It's just, there are some words that just speak for themselves by expression. Now with the most exuberant and excited and uh, joyful faces you can, say hope to someone the other side. The really excited face. It's very basic, isn't it? But it fits... A life-giving face, doesn't it? Much more than it puts a deadly, serious face. And at this time of year, as we come to the end of the year, and we're thinking about dreams and desires or what's going to happen next year, we can call those our hopes, can't we? And we're reminded at this time of year why we have hope, because the Lord Jesus came. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans in chapter 15. It's become recently one of my favorite verses, because it thunders out this message of of hope. It says this in Romans chapter 15, verse 13. May the God of hope, why don't we say that? God of hope. God of hope. I've realized we have the problem with our halls being very, very cold when we meet on Sunday. So the one thing you can be guaranteed of is no one's going to doze off because they're all chilly and it's very warm in here. You've got the heating right. So I'm going to keep you active so you don't doze off on a Sunday morning with the sun shining through the windows. May the God of hope fill you. Listen to these rich words. May the God of hope, I'm reading from the NIV, fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you might overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together before we get going. Lord Jesus, we thank you that as we remember you, we are reminded of a God of hope. And I pray this morning, even as we've sung and has come out through our prayers, I pray, Father, that you, the God of hope, would fill us to overflowing with hope this morning. Pray we would all walk away encouraged in different areas of our lives, but across our whole lives, that we would be filled with hope. And we know it's by the power 
of the Holy Spirit. So we do ask, Holy Spirit, you would come this morning and that you would fill our hearts with hope. Amen. Amen. Who wants a little bit of hope in their hearts? Yeah, I'm, I'm the first in line. I don't know with you, but maybe a bit later in December, in the midst of winter, growing up an African, I get a little bit morbid in the midst of winter. Uh, you know, you go outside, it's dark. You come back from work, it's dark. And you've got, to, you've got to fight to have your spirits lifted. And it's a key time for hope. But also, as I think about my resolutions for the year to come, I think about my New Year's resolutions. And I remember they were the same resolutions I had last year. And they were the same resolutions I had the year before. And I think, oh, I think, is there any point hoping that I'll get on that diet regime or that exercise regime or that reading regime again? I've got to remind myself, desperate for hope at this time of year. But thankfully, obviously, Christmas is a great season where hope is brought to us. It was Churchill, wasn't it? Winston Churchill. He said, all the great things in life can, are simple and can be expressed in single words. And obviously, he had a way with words, old Churchill, didn't he? And he says, freedom's one of those things, justice, honor, mercy, and the other one is hope. The great things in life can be boiled down to something very simple, but very complicated at the same time. One of those is hope. So Francis Bacon said, hope is a good breakfast. Hope is a good, it's better than the cold pizza from last night. Anyone have cold pizza? Or the leftover curry from the week? Or the fruit and fiber? It's even better than that. And it's even better than eggs and bacon. I'm on a diet at the moment, and I get to eat eggs and bacon every morning on the diet. So if you want to know that one, come and tell me. And it works. It's the only one that's ever worked in my life. Eggs and bacon for breakfast. Hope makes a good breakfast, doesn't it? Coming bounding down the stairs, maybe not literally, but in our hearts, there's something about starting the day, isn't there, with hope. Something that lifts our eyes above where we are to what is to come. And here, Paul is praying that the God of not some hope, not the God of a little bit of hope, but the God of hope holistically would fill you so that you would be overflowing. That's his desire. Paul knows for the Romans that's what he wants because he's confident that's what God wants. And that's what he wants today. For you, before you extract yourself and think yeah, that's a great concept, God wants to fill your heart with hope today in every and every situation that you are in. Because hope is very, very powerful, isn't it? Yeah? Hope gets us through things when nothing else will. And what I, what I don't want you to do this morning is, if you're in the midst of a challenging circumstance, if you're in the midst of quite hopeless-looking situations, is to think that I'm just coming to talk about hope and it doesn't matter about your circumstances and this just joyful, fluffy feeling. No, no, no. The hope that God gives withstands all of the circumstances and is present in the midst of those circumstances. So Psalm 42, verse 5, isn't it? It says, why are you so downcast, my soul? Anyone ever have a downcast soul? No, you're all joyful. Anyone have a downcast? We all do, don't we? And some of you this morning, in the midst of circumstances, or you, there's no reason you're just feeling, bah, this morning, whatever it is, I'm not naive enough to think that hope is just this thing that makes you... Pretend that the world is all right when actually your soul is downcast. But the next part of that verse says, put your hope in God. In the Psalms, you get both, don't you? There's a hope in God, even in the midst of difficult situations, even in the midst of our, our downcast souls. But hope is massively powerful. Anyone into Downton Abbey? 
Yeah. Now, he's always careful when you talk about it because you don't want to give it away. But my wife and I are only starting to watch it now. It's a TV, a period drama, and we're in season two. So if you're planning to watch it, please forgive me. It's much easier to get forgiveness than permission, I'm told. So I'm just going to go for it before I ask. Um, that's a key one. Always learn that, particularly in church. Much easier to get forgiveness than permission. Anyway, in Downson Abbey, there's this young man who's going off to war, and he loves his sweetheart, William, and I think it's Daisy, is it? And she doesn't particularly love him in the same way, if you know what I mean. And everyone forces her to say she'll marry him, at least while he's away at war, so that he's got that hope to get him through, and it does. It gets him through, it brings him back, it helps him actually to die well because he's married this girl, and for her it's not the same, but he's got hope in her heart because hope really does get us through difficult situations. I remember when I was uh, dating my wife, Back in the day, I was much keener on her than she was on me to start with. Um, I asked her out and she turned me down. Uh, And then I asked her out again and she turned me down, I think it was. And then we started to go out. We had an interesting uh, start to our married life. It was about four years ago now. And then we went out for a while, and, we, and then a week later, she, she, we went for a walk, and she broke up with me. But I was so naively filled with hope that I said to her, no, you're not. You're really not. You'll be back tomorrow or next week. Hope kind of got me through that, and she was. She came back running. Um, admittedly, a few months later, she broke it up again, and so I gave up all hope. And then she came back months later, and now we're married. So there's the long story. But hope caused me to send chocolate and flowers, to write poems, even when the... There you go. Yeah, sorry, men. <laughs> Poems. There you go. I've, I've won half of the audience and I've lost the other half this morning. <laughs> Even when the facts were abysmal and she had clearly said no and had given it a go and turned me down, my hope lived on. Hope is really powerful. Viktor Frankl was a, a Jewish psychotherapist in uh, war and he was in the concentration camps. And he was even in Auschwitz. And he, obviously being a psychotherapist, analyzed and watched how the prisoners responded to their, to their dire situations. And he noticed that they responded in four general ways. The first were a group who just became brutal. Understandably, in some ways, when you're in the midst of a concentration camp and the, the strongest survive, a lot of his close friends just became brutal. That's how they lived. They, they, they tried to get to the top of the pile. There was another group who held on to temporary hope. And uh, what happened with them is when that hope didn't become fruitful, they almost literally died. So he tells the example of his, uh, the warden of his cell block who had a dream that the war was going to end at a certain time, at a certain day, at a certain point, and they would be liberated and something like that. And that day came and they weren't liberated. And he tells the story of how in the next few days that person went downhill and died within a few days because their hope had been fixed on that temporary thing and it didn't give them hope. So they gave up straight away. There was another group, he said, who held on to hope, a group who said this, if I can survive, I can get all my hopes back. Many held on, he said, through the hope that if they stayed alive, their health, their family, their professional achievements, their fortune and their position in society would be restored. Those things that had been their hope. And that's what got them through the concentration camps, which most of us in this room can only begin to conceive of how challenging that is. For them, what got them through was hope that there was going to be a restored life for them when they got back. Because those are the things they put their, their hope in. Even in the midst of the worst circumstances you can imagine, hope gave them strength to carry on. I'm sure we've all got stories of how through our lives, we've held on to hope. 
Some of us have had fruitful hope. Others of us haven't had fruitful hope and things haven't turned out as we wanted them. But we've all got a story, or we know someone's got a story about how hope is powerful and how hope has led people on through difficult times. So what do we mean when we're talking about hope? Because if there's X number of people in here this morning, we're probably going to have X number of definitions. How would you define hope? Just let your mind tick over for you. What, what is hope for you? How would you define it? I think in general terms, when we think about hope, what we mean is that we are looking forward to something good or something better possibly happening in the future. Is that fair? There's a general definition of we're looking forward to something good or possibly happening that in the future. Something good or better possibly happening in the future. That's commonly what we mean by hope. So you might be hoping for Christmas to be better than last year. So you might be hoping for a, not really into my whiskey, but I thought it would be a good illustration. You might be hoping for your single malt whiskey. Is that the best one? There you go. Or you might just be hoping for a new pair of jeans, or you might be hoping that your family decide to come and spend Christmas with you. It might be, in a sense, a bit close to the heart. You might just be hoping that you're not alone this Christmas, or that you are able to pay the bills, or whatever it is. It's, it, it's looking forward to something better possibly happening. Maybe it's in the new year. You're looking forward to a better job, or you're looking forward to reconciled relationships. Someone prayed out about God being a God of reconciliation. Maybe you're hoping for your friends to come to church for the first time. You've got the, the puppet, Nana, Nanativity. You've got that coming up. Maybe you're hoping for the first time after many, many invites, someone will come to Nanativity. We, it's, it's looking forward to something good or better possibly happening. Ultimately, though, when we talk about hope in that way, it's about uncertainty, isn't it? Can you say uncertainty? Because it's that word possible in. Because you have no guarantee, do you? You have no guarantee unless you've seen it that your partner is going to buy you those clothes for Christmas. You have no guarantee that your house is going to improve, ultimately. Hope, by nature of how we use it every day, speaks about uncertainty, doesn't it? I hope that this will happen. You probably wouldn't use those terms if you were certain. You would say, I know it's going to happen. Hope actually carries a lot of uncertainty in it. So we can hope as much as we want, but there's a deep uncertainty. And this is where hope, as we commonly think about it, is dramatically different from biblical hope. Because what we're going to see in these verses, number one, we're going to see the goal of these verses, that you and I will be a people who overflow with hope. Overflow with it. That's the goal of Paul's prayer. But in these in this verse, he also gives us the grounds of that prayer. Why on earth would Paul believe that we can be a people who overflow with hope? And then we're going to see how we actually get there to be a people overflowing with hope. So if the goal is overflowing with hope, but the hope we commonly think of is filled with uncertainty, how is that different from a biblical hope? Well, it's different because the grounds of that hope are very different. No matter what it is you hope for, a change in circumstance or a change in a person, ultimately, directly or indirectly, your hope is dependent on people. So for those who are in the concentration camp, they were looking forward to their professional achievements, their houses, their families. They were looking forward, they were putting their hope in stuff, but actually it was all dependent on their families making it through the war their businesses making it through the war, directly or indirectly, all our hope is in a person. You hope for that Christmas present, 
is in the person you're giving a nudge to right now, okay? So give them a little nudge. So I'm, I'm hoping in you, don't let me down. Your hope is sometimes even in yourself. And if you are vaguely honest, just a little bit, you will realize we are not the most reliable people in the world ourselves. If you really get to know yourself, think, actually, I'm not totally reliable. The thing is, with biblical hope, at the beginning of this prayer, Paul gives us the grounds for that hope that make it very different. John Piper defines biblical hope like this. He said it is confident expectation and desire for something good in the future. The difference between possible and confident. He goes on and says, biblical hope not only desires something good for the future, it expects it to happen and is confident that it will happen. There is a certainty to biblical hope, and we're going to find out why we can have that certainty. That's very different to the uncertainty of our everyday hopes that we have. Both are powerful, and if we've seen how powerful uncertain hope can be, can you imagine how powerful certain hope can be? Because the difference is this. I have a gift here. And in a moment, I might ask someone to come and unwrap it, and then with their eyes closed, put their hand inside and feel for what might be in there. Would anyone be willing to possibly maybe do that? Now, that you have a level of hope that it will be a good present, because after all, I'm a pastor, and I'm paid to be nice. That's, a, that's, that's my job, isn't it? I'm paid to be nice, but I've raised my eyebrows enough, and I've twiddled my fingers enough, to put some doubts in you, haven't I? That what is in this box is actually something worth hoping for. Haven't I? But hey, I'm a, I'm a nice guy. Maybe if Steve got up here, I don't know if he is the same, but he's always been a little bit of a prankster. But you might have more faith in Steve because you know him. So, okay, no. <laughs> Wrong example. I'll take an upstanding member of the congregation, David. There you go. If David came up and he held a present here... And he said, I've got a present for you, and I'd love you to close your eyes and put your hand in. I've got lots of people nodding at the back, saying no. Okay? If someone came off the street, um, not to stereotype, but wearing a hoodie and leaning down like this, and maybe they're unshaven, and they said, I've got a gift for you. I would love you to come and put your hand in it. Would you be very hopeful that there was something nice in there? No. So I'm just going to leave this on the side, and maybe at the end, someone might want to come and put their hand in it. Okay, It's just there. Don't get too distracted. I wonder how hopeful you are feeling that there's something worth having in there. Who's very, very hopeful? One person, two people, three. There you go. Who is extremely doubtful that there's anything worth having in there? Who's extremely doubtful that there's anything in there? Okay, I'll do the rest of you fall within that spectrum. My point is this. Our hope is always on a level depending on our confidence in the person who we're going to get that thing from. So would John Way be a good example? Would you be kind? There you go, lots of nods. So if John offered you this present, your hope would be fueled by the surety that John is a reliable man, but... At the end of the day, we're only human, and I'm sure he's got a sense of humor, and he might just want to play a trick on you. But this is where the certainty of biblical hope is very different from that uncertainty. You're all filled with uncertainty that there's anything worthwhile having in there, because biblical hope starts with the God of hope. That makes all the difference to this prayer that Paul prays. 
May you be filled with overflowing hope. Wonderful, Paul, great. But what's that hope based on? It is based on the God of hope. And Paul clarifies that for us. And the order of this prayer answers how we get hope. Before we even start, it starts with who God is. And then it's going to end with what's going to happen. And in between, there's a mixture of what we do and what God's doing. But it all starts with who God is. The Bible, as we've even been praying and seeing, the Bible is a declaration of the certainty of God, isn't it? Of His goodness, of His fatherliness, isn't it? It's a a testament of His fatherliness, even as the kids go out. And what does God say? He says, if an earthly father knows how to give, give good gifts, how much more does your heavenly father... The God of hope is the reason we can expect that our hope, whatever that looks like, whatever it's for, is certain if our hope is based on the God of all hope. Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. For we know that God works all things together for good. doesn't mean everything is good. It means the bad and the good. He is God and He works it all together for the good for those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. Everything, whether it's what we would like or not, and this is where it gets exciting because you might be hoping for something good, but guess what? God is going to make sure you get what is really good, not just what you're hoping for. It's one of the amazing verses, Romans 8, 28, and Christmas. Christmas, more than any other time in the year, I think, is a time where there is a historical, objective reminder of how reliable God is. Because even the most unbelieving person cannot deny that a person called Jesus was born, where he was born, the kind of life he lived, and that thousands of years before that there were promises that that would happen. You cannot escape that. That's, it's historically recorded. This person called Jesus was born and he was prophesied thousands of years before. And for Christians, obviously, that's an overt declaration that God's promises are for Filled. Christmas is all about that. It's all about remembering God is certain. We think about a baby in a manger and lots of things come up. But above all for me, God's promises do get fulfilled. And then you have Easter. Easter is a little bit more subjective because of the questions over the resurrection. Although we would say that certain. But Christmas, you cannot deny Jesus was born. He had a father. He had a mother. And that he came. Christmas Gives us reason for hope because it thunders out we have a reliable God of hope to trust in. Ephesians chapter 2 says we were a people without hope, but now in Jesus Christ we are a people with hope. Before Christmas came, we believed those promises, but since Christ has come, we are now a people with hope. Amen? Amen. And that's what Christmas is to be in the midst of the darkness, in the midst of Herod decreeing that all the babies should be killed, in the midst of not having a stable or not having an inn, but having a stable in the midst of the controversy of a mother being uh, come on by the Holy Spirit, not a husband. We have hope, even in the greatest time of hope. It's not a case of because everything's rosy. Jesus wasn't born into a rosy time, was he? He was born. Now, as Christians, we can get into the Mary trick here. Now, in the Bible, when it says Mary pondered these things in her heart, it's a positive thing. But when I read that, I can't help but think she put on the Christian face. (laughs) That's that's what I think when it says that Mary pondered these things in her heart. Now, it actually was a good pondering, and she took the promises. But I think she put on the Christian face and said, yeah, I'm absolutely convinced. God, your promises will work through. We're good at that, aren't we? 
I'm really convinced, and this is in the moment where you start thinking, yeah, I'm going to nod and show the preacher I agree with him. Put on the holy, I'm pondering it in my heart face. But Christmas always raises the question, what do you make about Jesus Christ? Because our hope is in him and the God of hope. Hebrews 6 verse 19 says, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. When do you need an anchor? Exactly. Not when the water's calm and you're not going anywhere. You need an anchor when there are winds and there are waves buffeting in on you, when there is every reason to think that you would be pushed out to sea and knocked off course. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Do you have hope as your anchor? And then it goes on and says that Jesus has gone in behind the curtain. That's our hope. The God of hope who has gone before us, who has gone in behind the curtain, who has made access to the Father, something that we can enjoy every moment of our lives. So we have the goal is that you will be filled with hope. I hope that's exciting and tantalizing, even if you wonder, oh, is that real? And then we have the God of hope, and we could just talk about the God of hope all morning. A God who's a restorer, a redeemer. The prayers this morning were prayers about a God of hope who breaks into situations, who helps you through change. All of these things is about a God of hope. But the big question then is, how do we get there? I hear you shout. Great, I understand that. Convinced he's a God of hope. I know he wants me to overflow with hope, but how do I get there? How do I get to this biblical hope of certainty? Well, it's in this verse again, and I've just started. Number one, you start with who God is, not who you are, and not your circumstances. You start with who God is. Terry Virgo tells a story of how in his devotional times in the morning, for him, it's like taking off at Heathrow. You know when you take off in a big plane, it shudders, doesn't it? And you go through the grey clouds, don't you, in the morning. And then you come out to cruising altitude. He says for him in the mornings, praying in tongues is like that. It gets him through the shuddering and through the clouds to cruising altitude when it's not the same thing. For me, pleading the promises of God is like that for me. It's remembering who God is, who he has promised to be. It gets me through the shuddering, gets me through the gray clouds, above all the worries and the, the situations in my life and the, just the irritation from a sleepless night because of a baby who's woken up very early again. All of that, pleading his promises. How do we get there? One, we start with who God is. And number two, we trust in him. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. For me, starting with who God is, and remind, my prayers have become simpler the longer I've been a Christian. They are simply thanking God more and more for who he is and what he's done. I used to really get deep into praying for lots of things to start with. Now I just find myself in the mornings needing to know in the midst of life's pressures who God is and needing to preach to myself. Martin Luther, he said, we need to hit ourselves over the head with the gospel every day. John Piper would say, preach to you. Do you preach to yourself? Or do you wait for Sunday for someone to preach to you? Do you preach to yourself every day? The Psalms are like this. Psalm 13 is again one of my, my favorite Psalms because it's raw. So we start with who God is and that's always the pivot point in terms of fighting for our hope, in terms of trusting in our hope. Psalm 13 starts with the how long questions. Yeah? We can all resonate. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? 
How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts? Every day have sorrow in my heart. How long will my enemy triumph over me? And then, so that's kind of talking about where you are being honest. And then it says, look on me. Then you start to pray. And answer me, O Lord my God, give light to my eyes. Verse 5 starts preaching to himself. But I will trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. What he's doing there is he's getting hold of himself and he's saying, you've got unfailing love. You've got salvation. And then he finishes and says, I will sing to the Lord for he has been good to me. Spurgeon says, David's harp, his singing instrument was more in tune than his heart. My heart, certainly at the start of the day, isn't always in tune. But I have an instrument. Not really, I put music on, I'm not very musical. But my harp can be in tune. Because I can trust in him. That's what the psalmist do. doing. We talked about Psalm 42 where it says, Why should thou cast my soul hope in God? Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And the psalmist just preaches to himself. He heals our diseases. He forgives our sins. He does not treat us as our sins. He preaches to And your soul cannot but look above your circumstances and put your hope in God. So getting there, we start with who God is. Now, that doesn't literally mean a linear order. You know, you can start with bearing your soul and saying, God, this looks hopeless. But you're God, you're loving, you're kind, you're merciful, you've shown yourself true, and we trust in Him. A great example of this is uh, found in Romans chapter 4, verses 18 to 21. Let me read this to you. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Try to get your head around that. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. I.e., when everything about the circumstance around was against hope. Have you ever been in that situation? In your marriage? I've been married four years. Man, there are times where it's challenging. There's times where I think I've made the same mistake again and again and again. When will I understand my wife? And you get through that and you think... But there's hope somehow. But God, God, there's hope that I will get this one day. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed, and so became the father of many nations, just as it had been said to him. So, Chela Ostring, without weakening in his faith, he only focused on the positives and was never honest about the tough stuff. No. Without weakening his faith, he faced the facts. There's nothing wrong with facing the facts that your situation looks dire. You can't escape that. He faced the facts that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promises of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he promised. This is what this trusting in God is. It's choosing, I'm going to be persuaded by God. And we do that by allowing the Word of God to shape our thinking. And we have to fight for it, do we not? When you become a Christian, the Christian life is this. It's laying hold of that which has been laid hold of for us. That's the Christian life. And the laying hold of is by God's grace, it's by God's strength, but we do, take, we do lay hold of it. But the only reason we can is because God has already laid hold of it for us. The promised land of Israel. Repeatedly, you read the story, they say, go and take hold of that which I've already taken hold of for you. It's a bit of a dodgy word when you think it theologically, but it's kind of it's about activating it. You know, God has put hope in you. And although we have to trust in him, it does start with God. 
first and foremost, doesn't it? Before you think it's about you trusting in God. 1 Peter 1 verse 3 says, Praise God, we have been born again into a living hope. God does that. You don't do it. But you are born again. We talked about adoption. You get into this family where there is hope and where there is love and where there is mercy. But you can walk in the door and you can receive that. It's the same with hope. God breathes hope into our hearts when we were without hope. Ephesians chapter 2 But our responsibility is to lay hold of what God has already laid hold of. And how does that happen? By the power of the Holy Spirit. It is God who works in you to will and to work according to His good pleasure. Amen? God motivates you. God, Paul says, no, by the grace of God I worked harder than all people. It's not your resolve and your effort. Yes, it's your discipline. But even that's enabled by God. It's come by God. So what you have is you have the goal is that you'll be overflowing with hope. Hope for tomorrow. Hope beyond the grave. Hope for that loved one who doesn't know Christ as their saviour. Hope for your health. Hope for your job. Hope for your fill in the gap. He wants you to be overflowing. More than enough. So it's infectious to people around you. And you can believe in that. Because there is a God of hope whose reservoir never runs dry. There is a God who has more hope for your life than you could ever conceive or imagine. Do you look back and think, my best years are gone and I've been fruitless? You might have given up, but I tell you, there's a God in heaven who is jumping on his throne (laughs) saying, there's hope for what is to come. If there are a habit you haven't been able to break for years and you so long to do it and you just think there's no hope, I'm going to live with this the rest of my life. There's a God who wants to breathe hope into you again because he's full of hope for you. Maybe whatever it is for the church, I felt Isaiah chapter 9 for you guys. You know, there's that classic Christmas verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. And then in a few verses later, I think it says, and of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. God's work in your heart, the increase of his government and his peace in your life is never going to end. It doesn't become a retirement date for God's plan for your life. For your friends, for this church, of the increase of God's government and peace, we don't know what that will look like, but it will not come to an end, i.e. it's going to keep moving. For me personally, in Matthew where Jesus says, I will build my church. I don't think I could be an elder if I thought I had to build the church. It would crush me. God is building his church. My responsibility is to plant and water, but God brings the, God brings the growth. The, the grounds is all about who he is. How we get there is we trust in who he is. And that takes us wrestling our heart off the temporary things of the world. There was another group of those who were in the concentration camps who I told you about, who believed and hoped for those jobs and things to come back. As the war ended, and they got all those things back, some of them. They got their jobs, they got their families, they got their social status. Viktor Frankl said, despite getting the very thing they hoped for, Many of them fell into depression and many of them committed suicide because nothing could ever compensate for what they lost. 
no matter how strong in the camps and what they went through, no matter how strong your temporary hope is and what it gets you through, ultimately it does disappoint. But we have a hope that goes beyond the grave. And our most painful moments come when we hope in anything else other than God. Because they will disappoint. If you hope in your elders to be perfect people, good luck. Because they aren't. If you hope in your cell group leader to do everything and, and answer all your problems, they, they, they won't. There's a level of hope you can put in them because God says so and God's at work in them. And this is the thing. If you're hoping in someone else, you don't hope in them. I've learned this as a, as a leader in the church. I, I don't put my hope in Jimmy. I put my hope in God in Jimmy. Otherwise, my hope in Jimmy crushes him. I put pressure on him. No, no, no. I have hope in God in Jimmy. Maybe you're mentoring someone who's going through a tough time. Hey, hope in God in them. Christ in us. The hope of glory. May I pray? May I pray for us? Why don't you just in the quiet of your hearts, even now, turn your hearts from trusting in circumstances and people. Lift your eyes. You might just want to do it literally. Lift your eyes and say, God, I place my hope in you. Father, I pray for us this morning. I pray you would breathe hope afresh for marriages. I felt the Lord say, never settle for status quo in terms of lack of intimacy, in terms of lack of understanding. This is a personal word to me, but I felt for you as well because he has hope for your marriage. Father, I pray you'd breathe hope for loved ones and family members who don't know you yet. I pray you'd breathe hope for neighbours who don't know you. In Acts chapter 17, it says, God apportions the times and places that you live in so that people who are feeling for God near you would find him in you. I pray for hope for neighbours. Again, I pray for hope for your advance in this church, Father. I pray for hope for health. And I pray for the hope of a perfect heaven where there is no mourning, where there is no sickness, where there is no dying, to so captivate our souls that we spend every moment of our lives here crying out for that kingdom to come. So we say, Lord, let your kingdom come. Paul said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. <laughs> Everything was all about Jesus. His hope for fruitfulness in this life was God. His hope for the life to come was God. Lord, I pray for this church. I pray in this season of joy, when we remember you coming, we would be reminded that we have reason to hope.
We have reason to hope because of the one who has gone through the curtain, because of the one who has taken our sins as far as the east is from west, the one who has removed hopelessness from us for eternity and put hope in our hearts that will live on and on and on and that can never be squashed by circumstances or situations. Lord, we trust in you. We put our hope in you and we ask by the power of the Spirit you would cause us to overflow with hope so that others would look in and say, I need what you have. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Hugh. It was brilliant.